Good morning. This morning we are reading John chapter 14. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them He it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced, because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Cynthia. 
the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Amen? So we're reading Jesus' farewell discourse. It's his last, his, his last big teaching content to his 12 disciples the night before he was executed on a Roman cross. And it's sort of a last will and testament, and that's what I'm calling today, a last will and testament. And we're going to look at it for the next three Sundays starting, well, not Easter, but the two weeks after Easter as well, but starting today. Sort of a last will and testament before his crucifixion. He knows he's going to the cross now, but his disciples don't quite understand it. And... Today I want to talk about the first of three commands or imperatives that he gives his disciples, sort of parting wishes. And I want to highlight them. And the first is going to be the word believe. I just want to talk about believe. So uh, I guess several years ago we started this series and I had said that for about the past 20 plus years, I think our society has, become, has been more and more desperate to believe in something. After 9-11, Americans began to feel really vulnerable uh, within, you know, within our own shores, that we are vulnerable in our own cities, in our own towns. We have discovered that, uh, through all forms of violence in our own culture that we are even vulnerable in our own schools and in our own homes. Now, in a post-COVID-19 world, we have now discovered that our bodies are, are vulnerable. Our assets are vulnerable. Our relationships are vulnerable. Political polarization and an infinitesimally small virus has revealed to us that even our relationships are vulnerable. So we have been trusting in our politicians, even in our celebrities. We've been trusting in our ideologies and our political platforms. We've been, in some ways, trusting in science. Um, we want to believe in something desperately. People want to believe in things. They want to believe in people. All the emphasis and excitement about political leaders and celebrities seems to be proof that we are drawn to believe in something and someone. And, and as John has been leading us through his gospel, his emphasis hasn't changed. He keeps saying, believe. I've written this so that you may believe. Actually, the word believe comes up in John's gospel more than twice the amount that it comes up in any other book in the New Testament. He uses the word 98 times. And to believe in somebody or in something, as John describes belief, is to put their trust in somebody or to entrust yourself to someone, to rely on something, to put your faith into something, to be confident about something or somebody. And of course, we do this in many ways. We use the word belief in all sorts of ways, don't we? We say we believe in our kids or we say we believe in our students and it means we're confident in their abilities and we want them to know that we're, we're rooting for them, we're confident in them, we're encouraging them. We say we believe in our team because we are just hoping that this is the year. 
We say we, we believe in science. That can be complicated, and many people mean many different things when they say, I believe in science. Some people, when they say, I believe in science, they simply mean, I trust in the process of objectively observing data. Some people say, I believe in science, and what you really mean by that is, I don't trust anything intangible that I can't observe. Those are two very different types of belief in science. But Jesus said, believe in God, believe also in me. Now, when he said those words, remember, his disciples were shell-shocked. They were troubled. This is the Last Supper. They're in the upper room. Jesus just told them that one of them was about to betray him. And then Judas got up and walked out. And right after that, Peter, declaring his utmost devotion to Jesus, hears Jesus say, you're going to deny me three times by the morning. They are absolutely disoriented. And in that context, Jesus says to them, don't be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Now, if you're not a Christian, if you're streaming in with us, or if you're here in person and you're not a Christian, um, this is critical for you. Jesus, knowing he is about to die, comforts his disciples. They're not comforting him. He's about to die and he's comforting them. And he gives them some hard realities and objective truths. And if you're not a Christian, this is really critical for you because the world is decaying. Have you noticed? Society is a mess. People keep proving to, our, to us over and over how terrible we can be. People can be really, really bad. And your death is coming. Your own death is coming, whether it's next year or whether it's 50 years from now. You're going to die. Society is decaying. People can be a mess and utterly evil at times, and you're going to die at some point. So what you believe really does matter. What we believe matters more than anything, ultimately. And Jesus said in that upper room, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. And we're going to unpack that statement today. We're going to talk about Christian faith or belief. Christian faith believes in Jesus as the only way to God. That's the simple tenet of Christianity. It's all there. That's Christianity. Christian faith believes that Jesus is the only way to God. Now, if you've always known that and you think this is going to be a waste of your time, I don't think it will be. We can always be reminded of this. We're going to talk about how Christian belief is living like Jesus is the only way to God. Not just saying it and assenting to it intellectually, but believing, living as though Jesus is the only way to God because Jesus is the truth and because Jesus is the life. He is the only way to God because he is the truth and he is the life. And we'll talk about what that means, the way, the truth, and the life. The fact that Jesus is the only way to God, it's spoken about here in very homey language, in very familiar, intimate, cozy, comforting, home language. For instance, in verses 2 and 3, Jesus says, he's trying to comfort them, he says, in my Father's house are many rooms. 
And he tells them, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to be with myself, that where I am, you may be also. And scholars believe he's specifically talking about his second coming right there. So he's saying, I'm going to go away, and you're not going to see me for a while. And then I'm going to come back. And he's coming back in two ways. He's going to rise from the dead in a matter of days. But he's going to return again at the end, at the culmination of human history. And he seems to be, even though they don't quite understand his words at this point, he seems to be alluding to his second coming. I'm going to come back after I've prepared a place for you and bring you to where I am, bring you to my father's house because in his house are many rooms. Now, despite Thomas's question, which is, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how could we know the way there? Jesus says, you do know the way. I'm the way. In verse 6, I'm the way to where I'm going. I'm the way to my father's house. So if you know me, you know the way to my father's house by association to me. It's like inviting your friend over for dinner. They're only invited because they're with you, right? You don't just walk into anybody's house for dinner. But if your friend invites you to his mom's house, his dad's house, you're, you're invited into the house by way of specific personal invitation. When Jesus says, in my Father's house are many rooms, the word room, it just means dwelling place. Dwelling place. And the idea here is, Jesus is saying to his disciples, my dad's house has plenty of space. There's enough room for everybody. Let me ask you something. Have you ever gone to your friend's house and, and you noticed how creepy it is and intimidating it is when you're at their house and, and your friend's parents act like they don't want you around? They're like really quiet and not making eye contact with you and acting annoyed, right? You don't feel welcome, do you, right? You're like looking at your friend like, is it okay that I'm here, right? But you know how that feels, right? Jesus' dad is not like that. There's an open door. There's an empty seat at the table. Jesus comforts his disciples before he dies by saying they have a place in his father's house. I don't think they were comforted. But he tells, them, he tells them in another place in the passage, I'm telling you these things now so later on you'll remember them and you'll believe. And he says in verse 10, the words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. But the father who dwells in me does his works. Everything Jesus had said, everything Jesus had done, it all came to him through God the father. God gave him the power to do what he did, and God gave him the data. He gave him the truth. He gave him the words, the wisdom by which Jesus spoke. Always, he only spoke on the authority of his Father. And he's saying, I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. I'm going to come back to bring you there, and my dad said it's okay. My dad said it's okay. You know, the reason that the Bible claims there is only one way to God is because there is only one Son of God. So in our multi-ethnic, multilingual, and relativistic culture, where we believe in many truths, where you have your truth and I have my truth, where do Christians get off thinking like this? There's only one way to God? Where do we get off thinking like this? And if you're not a Christian, maybe you're wondering now, where do they get off thinking like this? It's a good question. 
Jesus is the only way to God because he is the truth and he is the life. Notice the definite article. He is the truth. It's a curious way of talking, isn't it? He is the truth. He is the life. Let's talk about that. The truth of God, the very mind of God, the law of God, the will and desire and planning of the creator was revealed, was incarnated in a human being. That's what John meant in chapter 1 when he said, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And in John 1 verse 18, no one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, okay, so that's another version of God, not the Father, but still God, who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. Jesus is the truth of God. But He is also the life of God. The life of God. The creative and sustaining power and energy and focus of our Creator came into human history as a human being. Which is why John also opened up the Gospel in chapter 1, verse 4 by talking about Jesus this way, in Him was life, and the life was the light of men. Or in John chapter 5, for as the Father has life in Himself, so He has granted the Son also to have life in Himself. And if Jesus, as we've been looking at the Gospel, all these statements about I am this and I am that, right? Do you remember what He has said? I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheep. I am the resurrection and the life. If Jesus claimed to be all of these things, He would have had to have been insane unless... He was actually the truth of God, the life of God. That gives him the right to say all of those crazy things. So take Jesus' words seriously. I think that's, that, that's what I've been meditating on this entire week to impress that upon us today. Take Jesus' words seriously. Maybe, maybe I'm encouraging you to do that for the very first time. Maybe you're here today because you followed your parents here. Okay, take Jesus' words seriously today for the first time. Maybe you followed a loved one here or a spouse here or a friend here. Awesome. I'm so glad you're here. Take Jesus' words seriously, maybe for the first time, and test whether or not there is any other option. C.S. Lewis, almost 100 years ago, wrote a man who is merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. So in our society, it's, it's popular to say, oh, we have a lot of respect and admiration for Jesus. He was a nice guy and a really great teacher. A lot of people in the world have followed him, just like the Buddha and Muhammad and all sorts of people. But C.S. Lewis went on to say, You'd have to be either, uh, Jesus would have to either be a lunatic on level with a man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman, or something worse. But let us not 
come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. You have to look at Jesus. You have to listen to Jesus and decide who you think he is. His words about being the only way to God are so unpopular and they're so unwelcome in our society today. Our culture praises diversity and it despises exclusivity. You know, the only idea, the only way option. Praises diversity and despises and hates exclusivity. And listen, you need to hear this. In some ways, the Bible agrees. In some ways, the Bible agrees to praise diversity and avoid like the plague exclusivity in certain circumstances. So for instance, when God created humanity, he created us diverse as male and female. When God announces the news throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament of his salvation, it extends and is for all people from all tribes and all tongues. When Jesus describes his church, he calls us a body, a uniquely diversified body where differences and contrasts when working well together produces fruit and productivity and unity. But the Bible denies a diversity of ways to God. The Bible denies a diversity of truths to believe. And it denies a diversity of givers of life. There is only one giver of life. There is only one truth. There is only one way to God. As we read from the Apostle Paul together earlier today, there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Jesus Christ. Now it makes more sense when Jesus says... Believe in God, believe also in me. We actually don't live our lives trusting in multiple truths, but objective ones. I, want, I know that sounds offensive, but think about it. Chris earlier today explained this with a cupcake to the kids. Um, baking cookies requires absolutes. You need to know the difference between baking powder and baking soda if you want your cupcakes to look good and to taste good, right? Building and design, designing and building and flying airplanes requires objective truth, knowing the difference between thrust and drag, or you will not have a very good airplane, and you may be very dead. Knowing where your kids are when it gets dark at night requires some objective truth. When you're getting ready to lock up the house and turn off the lights, they are either in their beds or they are not. When they're old enough to be mobile and yet they are still under your roof, they are either at home or they are not at home. And knowing that information either keeps you awake or gives you the peace to go to sleep. So we do actually live by objectivity and we don't really live practically by um, multiple truths. So why then do we presume that God would accept anything less than that? Why do we presume that God would accept less in how we come to find him and know him? 
If Jesus rose from the dead and was the only way to God, shouldn't we take his word seriously? If he rose from the dead and had all sorts of things to say, but especially I am the way, shouldn't we take that seriously? Are you taking that seriously? And if Jesus' words are true, then they offer you peace and they offer you permanence. You know how unsettling things are when you can't make up your mind and you don't have the answer you're waiting for, right? A diversity of options often provides stress in certain situations. But look at the comfort Jesus offers to his disciples by saying, I'm the only way. You're stressed out looking through Netflix and Amazon Prime and Disney Plus and whatever, trying to find something to watch. You're like, I got an hour before I go to bed and I'm exhausted. And you're stressed out because there's like thousands of options. And you find something and you, ah, now I know what I'm going to watch. Right? Some, sometimes we, we get excited about all of our options, but when we're desperate, we need an answer, don't we? When we're desperate, we need assurance. And on that night, Jesus says, I am the way. And it's in that context that he's saying, don't let your hearts be troubled. And then he says in verse 27, this is what I mean by peace and permanence. Exclusivity is not arrogant, is not elitist, is not domineering in the context of an ideal home. Exclusivity for the government is a problem. Exclusivity for schools and, and, uh, and, and um, guidelines and regulations, that can be a problem, socially speaking. But exclusivity in a home is critical. You need to know that your parent loves you and is not going to kick you out of the house. You need to know that your parent will always be there for you. Otherwise, you're living your life in instability. You don't know where that protection is going to come from, come from as a child. Exclusivity is necessary for peace and permanence in a household. You need to know that your parents love you. Not just any kid out there, but you. That's a good kind of exclusivity because it's driven not by arrogance, it's driven by sacrificial love. It's driven by connection. And so Jesus in verse 27 says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. And then listen to this. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. That small phrase, that sentence, not as the world gives do I give to you, it holds enormous weight. Think about it. We can only give what we don't own. The world can only give what is, does not belong to it. We can only give things that we have not created, that we cannot sustain, that we cannot ultimately destroy, and that we cannot take back. We create with the stuff that is already here and God has already provided. But Jesus says, I give, not as the world gives. Jesus gives what he owns. Jesus gives what he has authority to give and to take away. Jesus gives in a no backsies guarantee arrangement. When Jesus gives you something, he gives it to you, and it's yours. Because it's his. He has the power to give it, and he has the power to sustain it. So when he offers you peace, he has the authority to give you 
His peace, His life, His truth. And He will lead you to God as the only way to God if you trust Him. And He will speak truth to you. And He will give His life to you. New life. New life resurrecting your soul. New life. Eternal life. Restoring your body and your mind someday when He comes back to take you to where He is. Christian faith believes in Jesus as the only way to God. And I hope we will take that seriously. The only way to a God who wants us to be His children. A God who wants to be your Father. A God who speaks truth to you. Who is the source of life for you. To have that kind of a family, to have that kind of peace, to have a place, a dwelling of peace and permanency, isn't that worth believing in? Take him seriously and test whether Jesus is the only option or not. And if you are ready to test that, and if you are ready to consider that, come and talk to me after the service. Or get a hold of me this week. Or talk to somebody here that you trust. Test and see that the Lord Jesus is the way to God, the only way to God. We're a diverse group of people. And out there in the community and in this society, it is even more diverse. But what a joy that with all of that diversity, there is one God There is one God who offers the same grace, the same forgiveness, the same love to all. Let's pray. Father, we confess that that we often um, are so excited by all the options and all the choices and all the perspectives that we we, 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 we often forget to stop and test to see what is good and what is helpful and what is enduring, and what is true, and what is good. So thank you, for, thank you for showing us your son. Thank you that you didn't leave us to figure it all out on your own. But you sent us your son, and he told us there is a way, there is a God. There is truth, there is life. And so, Father, we believe that there is hope. And may we rest in Jesus and find hope in Him alone as the only way to you. Comfort my friends in whatever trouble they're enduring. And Father, convince us of Jesus. Help us to make up our minds about Him. Amen.